0: Christmas 1997, this is Under Consultation, a huge episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge, TV show, Gamesmaster Bracket, and other bits and bobs around it. I am one of your hosts, Luke Cohen, and all I want for Christmas is a bunch of Action Man stuff.
3: And looking at the television schedules for Christmas 1997, all I want for Christmas is a bunch of blank, 240-minute VHS tapes. I am Ash Versus.
0: It's going well.
3: I am Ash versus.
0: Well, just make sure you set them to long play. As we all know, Ash, that's the best way to record things on VHS for prosperity.
3: Mate, if I have (laughs) one of the biggest regrets, it's the amount I used long play. And it was because my parents told me, it's like we use long play because videotapes are expensive.
0: You get way more. You can get at least three and a bit movies onto a long play.
3: I got all of a season of doctor who onto a single three-hour tape in long play and i think there was some les dennis at the end
0: Ah, oh, mate i mean the amount of simpsons episodes you can get onto a long play vhs tape those are the summer collections you want anyway, this is our 1997 Christmas special episode because we've reached that part of our Games Master timeline and there's no Games Master episodes on at the moment. But FIFA 98 is the number one game for the holiday season as the Spice Girls celebrate the double, beating off the Teletubbies to top the pops with too much. And they have the number one movie at the box office with Spice World. When the
2: world is in trouble, when our future is in danger, we call upon one man... But when he's busy, he calls five girls. Columbia Pictures presents the Spice Girls.
4: All right, we're coming.
2: In their film debut, Victoria, Emma, Mel B., Jerry and Mel C. They're ready for action. Go, power. They're dressed to kill.
5: Do you want that shaken or
2: stirred? And thoroughly prepared for any encounter. It's a story of love.
5: I think with boys, you should be able to just wheel them in. Yeah, and order them like a pizza. Yeah. No cheese.
2: Compassion. It's really too hot in here.
5: I need a fan.
2: And misunderstanding. When the speeding melon hits the wall, there's no! Christmas for the crows.
5: What did he say? I
2: haven't a clue.
3: Beating off the Teletubbies, eh? Yeah,
0: they sure did. Yeah, Tinky Winky's like such a battering. Couldn't walk straight for a month. Tinky Wanky. Anyway, let's, um, we'll start with the single first, shall we?
3: Yeah, let's start with the single. I mean, Luke, I think we have established that you are the Spice Girls correspondent for this <laughs> podcast. So. I listened to too much in preparation for this episode, and I'm like, yep, that that's a Spice Girl song.
0: I think it's a decent little Spice Girl song. It kind of got a bit of a few mixed reviews. I think most people were relatively positive to it, but I think more experts within the R&B flavoured field thought it was a bit derivative and a bit sort of like, trying too hard to kind of fit into that mold but i really like the song i think it it's beautifully placed in the album itself in spice world and it is a song that i uh, hear it it instantly comes right into my head i think it is one of the better songs on the album and this was you know uh, right in that apex of spice mania because this is the second and last christmas number one and their sixth number one in a row like that is an incredible achievement it would have been seven but their next single stop is only a number two entry because it was beaten pipped at the post by uh, it's like that and the way it is the jason Nevins remix of run dmc song
3: i still kind of object to that being called a remix it's like you just dropped a drum beat on it <laughs> hey and it was a very cool music video as well so this song was written by Jerry Halliwell because yeah. I was doing my due diligence. I was reading up the article. I was following some of the links from Wikipedia going and reading a little bit of interview. And you got this whole thing about, well, Halliwell wrote it while they were filming Spice World and she was there and she was working on the lyric and then Mel C and they, they Mel C helped out and this, that and the other. And then it went to Paul Wilson Andy Watkins and they helped produce the song. So that's one side. And then you have a quote from Paul Wilson who says, Jerry came in and sang too much of something, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right, okay, got that, great. And that was then what was given to them to start the song. And it feels like there's two very different camps there. There's the camp of, oh, Jerry Halliwell slaving over a notebook of lyrics, and there's the camp of Jerry wandered in and went da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da.
0: Yeah, Jerry is. I'm pretty sure Jerry has claimed that it was on. She saw it on a T-shirt or something like that, and that was sort of part of it, like or well, something part of the song she saw on a T-shirt and kind of incorporate that into the lyrics. Incl- not inclined to be on Jerry's side in this because I'm a Spice Girls fan and, and I love Jerry Halliwell, but she leaves the band not that far off in our timeline. I think it's May she leaves the band. Like May 1998 is when she leaves the Spice Girls, and one of the reasons that she leaves is exhaustion. And Mel B's been very vocal about the exhaustion levels that the Spice Girls were having during 1997 this not just this album they're doing the movie at the same time and really that movie is there to promote the album and that movie was being made without an album so they made a movie finished the movie without an album done and then had to write the album and record some of the album during the filming of that, so between takes, they were writing songs for it, and that's kind of like you know she was according to most stories, Jerry was writing this in like in a taxi between scenes, like uh, for for Spice World the movie.
3: And they were you're right, they were recording it during breaks in takes. They had a caravan studio that they were just going okay. Mel C's available now; she can come in and record her bits for this. Jerry's available; she can go in and record her bits, and then Posh Spice is available. And she can come in and stare at the microphone. So they would just go through and very rarely would the Spice Girls actually record together unless they happened to be on scene breaks at the same time. But even then, there's a chance that one of them might be working on a part of another song on the writing process. Or sat with jerry helping with the da da da's
0: i uh, yeah i don't know what side of the story is true and it's, it's most likely one of those like you know those situations where we'll never really know the true side of it i i think that it's a common theme amongst the spice girls is the underestimating that people have of them and you know don't expect them to be able to write all of this don't be don't expect them to be able to record this you know i mean at this point in time they fired their manager and simon fuller because they're just going to run the band themselves and they didn't expect that they can do that you know when we get into the movie portion of this chat the movie's got a minuscule budget despite the fact that they are a massive massive band that a movie that was guaranteed to make a whole lot of money But they were like, well, I don't know. Don't give them, ironically enough, don't give them too much money. This may uh, all blow up. And, you know, kind of in fairness, the bubble does burst in 1998.
3: I mean, when it comes to bands having films, the number of bands that have had films that were both critically and commercially successful, you can kind of count on one hand. And if you want to look at both commercial and critical success, you can count them on a thumb. I was about to say, you can probably count them on one hand while holding something. It's The Beatles. Yeah, it's A Hard Day's Night. A Hard Day's Night, also arguably Yellow Submarine. Mm -hmm. There were a few other bands that kind of did stuff. Uh, Slade in Flame, actually a very, very, very cool film, but was seen as quite different and quite weird. Mm. So I can kind of understand their reticence on this, but... 25 million dollar budget given the scope of what they were trying to do it's not a lot i mean we talk about missing that kind of mid-budget movie nowadays but i would certainly never have attributed 25 million to one of the hottest acts in the world at that point that's it
0: yeah and i think because that budget was so small like there's a really really good vice article uh that i would recommend people go and read that is called i'll just get you the exact title uh, how the Spice World movie became a deranged postmodern masterpiece. The writer of this, Sirin Kale, interviews a couple of people behind it, right? It interviews Kim Fuller and the director of photography and one of the actors, the one who plays their friend, the de facto sixth member of the band. Mm. Um the the actor, basically, of the movie. And in that, like it's sort of quoted as that because the budget was so low, they jettisoned a lot of big things that they had planned for it. They had much grander scale things planned. The The alien invasion was supposed to be bigger and that sort of pair it back. And because they paired it back so much, it, it looked crap and it looked really cheap. And I, you know, I think it's got a TV director behind it. So some of it does feel a bit televisual in a way, which kind of works because the plot of the movie just feels like Spice Girls go into wacky scenario after wacky scenario.
3: This is not a hard day's night. This has more parallels with Help, where there is a movie going on and the Spice Girls happen to be there while the movie is going on. They are kind of integral to the plot. And I'm sure there is a script. But, I mean, wait, wait, help is a hot mess. But it is actually my favourite Beatles movie. Because it's kind of a hot mess. This is kind of a hot mess. But it is a fun hot mess. And it's certainly a, a hot mess that connected with their fan base. Hello, 100 million at the box office. It is a hot mess,
0: is a brilliant way to describe it because you mentioned earlier, like it's both commercially successful and critically successful. This is not, and was not critically successful. This was uh, quite the, uh, the 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 review bomb. You're right on that script portion as well because, and this is something actually I didn't know until I was reading up about it today. This was originally going to be a Disney movie. The Spice Girls had a big hit with Wannabe, we know this, we've cut it in our timeline, and then Spice was a big hit. And there was never really any active discussion about doing a movie, because the next thing to do is record the next album. We want that released by November, December, 1997 to try and capitalize off the success of the first one. And it's only when Wannabe became a big hit in America that Hollywood were then approaching Simon Fuller to be like, how about we do a movie with the Spice Girls? And the Spice Girls were signing deals left right and center they had a very very lucrative deal with pepsi and they were doing things with everything else they've got a range of action figures out ash there's a video game coming out next year in fact if you buy the too much single it comes with an exclusive playstation postcard from the upcoming video game so they've got loads of stuff going on and disney approached them with a script already written and the spice girls turned it down because it was to disney and it ended up being written instead by the manager simon fuller's brother kim fuller who's like well i'll have a crack at it the script that they then presented to sony sony didn't get it because you kind of mentioned it's like that help method of a movie is happening and the spice girls are there and they were like this isn't a movie this isn't how you would do a movie and they were like trust us this is what the fans will want to see
3: i actually just looked up the details on help budget versus box office help was made for 1.5 million dollars but that was 1964 1965 1.5 million it's interesting you mentioned
0: earlier though like wikipedia says that the 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 budget of this movie was uh 25 million dollars and it probably is as well because that is you know it's a forbes article but according to that vice article you know somebody who was making it is like we only had 5.5 million dollars as the budget that might just be that was the production budget and then the rest of that is marketing budget but it's crazy as well just how mad i was was saying this to my wife like before we started to record like how mad 1997 was for the spice girls because you know wannabe and say you'll be there and to become one are kind of big hits throughout the, the the latter half of 1996 to become one being a christmas number one then wannabe is a hit overseas the script for this movie is written in january the movie is out by december now like movie schedules and stuff are often very very quick turnarounds and things like that but that's a crazy 12 month period for a movie on top of doing tours in other countries because you've got promotional things that you need to do and you've got the pepsi deals that you need to do as well as the video game as well as making a whole album as well like it's it's no surprise really that this is the breaking year for the group it's their biggest year you know along with all the controversy and stuff with prince charles now king charles as we talked about in our uh, mid-season episode but it's the breaking year it, this is it for the spice girls 1998 jerry leaves in may that's early doors and the group never recover from that and then they're done by the end of 98 basically it's not a good movie, but it's certainly a fun movie, and I think it is. It's very well remembered by those who were there at the time. I think it's also a nice celebration of Britishness in a way, because there's lots of fun cameos uh, throughout the movie. Obviously, famously, Meatloaf is the driver, although originally it was Frank Bruno, but uh, Bruno rage quit off the set uh, because the Spice Girl wouldn't sign some stuff for the, uh, for a, a young uh, uh, like a relative of his, so replaced by meatloaf because that's what you do ash if you lose frank bruno you just pick up the phone and call the loaf
3: i'd have gone for chris eubank personally
0: (laughs) you know you got richard e grant roger moore you've got barry humphreys jason fleming richard o'brien alan cumming bob hoskins is in the movie jennifer saunders hugh laurie stephen fry like it's jonathan ross elvis costello elton johns like all of these kind of like british names are there in this movie And there were a couple, well, you know, certainly one that was filmed, then they themselves got into trouble and their scene was cut and excised, quite rightly so.
3: Oh my god, they dodged a bullet by not releasing slightly earlier because, you know what, Spice World would only be remembered for one thing if that cameo had remained in there. I'm shocked they kept the song that was part yeah, of the musical number. Absolutely. I'm not even going to mention this guy's name because, amazingly, he's back in the news again he's at the, the moment. I know. I was actually thinking
0: that just the other day when I heard it on the news. I was like, "Cranky, that's going to come up in our podcast timeline.
3: So, yeah, if you want to know, you can go and read like the wiki page and whatnot and you'll see who it is and you'll be like, oh, Christ, him. But it does have all those cameos. It almost feels, and I'm only saying this because we've just passed it in the modern day, it almost feels like a very long, drawn-out comic relief sketch. That's exactly what it is. It
0: really does feel like that. And there's an excellent quote about those cameos in that Vice article. Uh, It reads here, by the time Bob Hoskins appears as Ginger Spice in Disguise midway through the film, Spice World has devolved into a hodgepodge doner kebab of celebrity cameos glued together with the meat and gristle of ham-fisted exposition.
3: Also, R.I.P. Bob Hoskins. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Still dead. <laughs>
2: one of the greatest. Absolutely one of my favourite British actors of all time. One of the UK's most popular actors ever, especially like in the 80s and the 90s and uh oh! He died in
4: 2014!
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! Absolutely fantastic! Here's me waking up this morning, for some reason I see this story and I'm like, oh no! Oh no, Bob Hoskins has died (laughs) for some reason. He died six years ago. (laughs) Yes, if anybody was ever wondering, is this Twitch show really live? (laughs) Yes, it is.
3: Yeah, under console pod, you're exactly right. Technically, he's still dead. Uh, One final note on Spice World is that it was the second of, two british record-breaking films released in 1997 setting a record for opening box office weekend earlier in the year bean had broken the record and then in came the spice girls right at the end and just went nah fam we got this we're good
0: i think you're gonna say the full monty as well then because obviously that's another i mean i know it's it's british in name only i guess in a way but also that was a, a very successful move One, i think it's ends up being the biggest movie of the year only because it had that huge like eight week run at the top of the box office when people were trying to avoid diana news
3: yeah i'm guessing it is because bean was a british production but yeah highest opening gross for a british production in the uk and also set a record of its own for opening week gross for a british film with uh, 4.8 million
0: it's a very, very successful movie, commercially very, very successful. It had its premiere the day after my birthday, uh, but I did not go and see it at the pictures. I saw it on VHS years later. I don't think my parents would have wanted to take me to see this, and I didn't go to go see it with my friends either, because I don't think it's the sort of thing we would have gone to have seen at the cinema.
3: You, you didn't want to lose your cool. Look, I, I like the
0: Spice Girls plenty. I've got both of the albums. Also, very crucial to remember. There's a good there's an easy way to tell the difference between if you're talking about Spice World, the album, and Spice World, the movie. Spice World, the album, has no space between Spice and World. The movie is Spice World. Is that because film posters are narrower? than album covers or it's like one of those tomorrow never dies things and it was actually just a typo in the facts and they just forgot to put the space in there
3: both are believable
0: let's move away from the spice girls uh, if we must but shall we have a look at what's going on in the the realm of tv around this festive period of time
3: let's indeed take a look thankfully our newspaper archive subscription has done us proud on this one as we have all five channels for christmas eve christmas day and Boxing Day, and boy howdy, 1997 was a busy TV Christmas, although I will say I felt like there were a lot of big films, but it didn't feel like there were a lot of big premieres, or maybe not big premieres that would appeal to me.
0: Yeah, I think there's a handful. There's like four biggins on on Christmas Day and there's one on Boxing Day and and one on Christmas Eve or two on Christmas Eve, rather. The four on Christmas Day, I think, are the belters of the lot. But they're also like, in some cases, mid-level belters, I I guess, in a way. I,
3: I I feel like we have had Christmases past
0: with bigger movies, like bigger, bigger premieres, if you will.
3: Well, a movie I would have definitely been watching over on BBC One, a morning movie, if I hadn't already owned it on VHS at the time, is The NeverEnding Story. Classic, mid-80s, kids' action film with just the right amount of terror. And it's uh, had a whole new
0: lease on life, thanks to Stranger Things, the song being sung. In fact, when I went to the Secret Cinema Stranger Things event one of the things I was told beforehand by someone who went to it before me was make sure you know the words to the never ending story song because there are no prompts.
3: I can remember the melody pitch perfect. Couldn't tell you all the words. No, meany it was
0: never really a big movie of my childhood, in all fairness. Like I definitely saw it and you know, I you know, remember the big dog. I didn't have it on VHS or I didn't have it taped off the TV. So I would have seen it around like other people's houses or like my cousins or something.
3: I think my first time seeing it would have been a video rental from Showcase or, yeah, it was most likely Showcase video. And because the kids' videos were often rent one, get one free, I want to say I may have got this the same day I got Labyrinth. Mm. What a double bill. Well,
0: speaking of double bills, we've got a couple of these peppered throughout Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and Boxing Day. The Battles for Your Remote. Which movie are you going to be watching? I thought that I would pitch both of these to us to see what channel are we likely to watch at this point in time when two films are on roughly at the same point. And our first one comes here because at 250 on BBC One, you've got Raiders of the Lost Dark. Raiders of the Lost Dark, not Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Dark. Raiders of the Lost Dark at 250. However, at five minutes past two over on ITV, the special edition of Close Encounters of the Third Kind is on. It's a Spielberg off. But which one are you gonna
3: be picking for Christmas Eve, 2 p.m.? I'd have a difficult time choosing between those two now. I don't know what I'd have done then. I mean, I think I'd have definitely been recording one of them. I think I would have been recording and probably watching Close Encounters. Because I'd have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think it's even come up. Raiders of Lost Ark has even been mentioned on one of our previous Christmas episodes. I'm fairly certain they've shown it's it over
0: the Christmas always break. Always on at Christmas.
3: But the special edition of Close Encounters of the Third Kind? I love. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. There are moments in that film that are pure horror. The bit where the kid gets dragged through the cat flap by the aliens, that is terrifying. Also, the fact that the mother would name her child Barry, that is also terrifying. But I think I would go with Close Encounters of the Third Kind, especially because it's that special edition where Luke, we see inside the spaceship,
0: yeah that's right i mean hey it wasn't just star wars from 1977 they got a uh, special edition
3: i would argue that close encounters of the third kind special edition is a better and truer special edition than star wars a new hope special edition i think it's probably
0: aged better as well
3: definitely what would you choose
0: well we would have been a raiders household we would 100 percent have been watching Raiders of the lost Ark. It's one of my dad's favorite movies Like My dad likes the indie films and he definitely would have, like if given the option, if this was on, he would have had this on.
3: What if it was just your
0: choice? At 12 years old, I would have probably picked Raiders. I think now because I've seen Raiders so much, I probably would pick Close Encounters. I've seen it way less than I've seen Raiders. So I'd probably opt to go and watch Close Encounters. But there's always that law that's going to drag me across to Raiders because, you know, we said earlier, it's on every Christmas. So it gives you that warm, fuzzy Christmas feeling in a way.
3: I actually think Close Encounters is a better Boxing Day movie because Mm. there is tension and suspense, but also there's just a lot of wonder and the amazing score and the whole bit. The the conversation at the end is just an iconic piece of cinema. It's a good film to have on when you're still suffering the turkey coma of the previous day. Whereas Raiders is a Christmas Eve. Oh, you're going to get to open a present. It's going to melt some Nazis' faces off. The one last thing on Crows Cows before we move on from this. I've
0: talked about this recently because I've just filmed this for a, a new project that I'm working on. But I'm talking about the word toyetic and... The inventor of that word, Bernard Loomis, who once had a conversation, and this is his words, had a conversation with Steven Spielberg, where he said to him, hey, Close Encounters sounds like a great movie, but it doesn't sound very toyetic. Did Spielberg punch him in the face? No, Spielberg said, Close Encounters might not be toyetic, but I have just seen this movie called Star Wars that I think you might be interested in. Well, at 5.45, we have got our first premiere to talk about, which is... Look Who's Talking Now.
2: Danny DeVito is a dog official. You'll see this in Look Who's Talking Now next on Central.
0: Almost ideal to be on here at 5.45 on ITV because it is the third and arguably worst installment of the Look Who's Talking franchise. It's not a high bar. I just wanted to read the review because we've got um, a copy of The Mirror here, which has got the the TV guide, and they've got reviews of each of the movies. Uh, Here is what they write for Look Who's Talking Now. Wretched Christmas edition to the Talking Toddler series, now dragging in dogs. Laugh, you'll never start. One
2: star.
3: Although the voices of the dogs are Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton. So they at least got some high-quality voice actors for this dreadful shit. But that was 5.45. So over on the BBC, you had Top of the Pops, which had the Spice Girls on it. Not the last time we're going to hear them mentioned in this time block. Then followed by News, Boring, and Celebrity Ready Steady Cook with Hail and Pace.
5: Christmas Eve on BBC One. At 6.30, Hale and Pace in a kitchen carry-on.
2: There's nothing like the good stuff in it at Christmas.
5: <laughs> Followed by a bean feast of festive comedy.
3: Oh, Eddie, you haven't. Oh, you haven't. Oh, that's very good. Hale and Pace, Ainsley Harriet, Worrell Thompson, Fern Britton hosting. I think there is a good chance that is what would have been on in my household. I mean, that's even the picture we've got here. Uh
0: in the in the daily mirror, prime time. Nice picture there of Fern Britain with hail and pace, bit of tinsel around them. You can even see some antlers, some foam antlers. That
3: is a brilliant little Christmas special. Over on BBC two Carols from Kings,
5: and the traditional festival of Carols from Kings can be heard and enjoyed at five fifteen this afternoon on BBC Two. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. that would be if I was at my grand's. Yeah. <laughs> over on Channel Four, it's the Snowman at five fifteen, followed by Andre. Yeah, yeah. Whereas over on Channel Five, ooh, weird to be talking about a Christmas schedule for Channel Five. 435. There was Making of Spice World the Movie, a 30 minute making of on Spice World.
4: Harsh. When you're ginger. Sad and low. baby. We will take
2: scary.
4: We gotta go.
2: Sporty. Smiling, dancing. The Mikey. Everything is free. And let's go from the top again. Okay. The girls are going to out on the big screen, and here's how they'll do it. The making of Spice World movie, Christmas Eve, 4.30pm on
3: Five Spice. Followed by Xena, Warrior Princess, yes. which is in turn followed by 100%. It's a game show without a host. And that's followed by Family Affairs, so... From a movie point of view, it's probably going to be Look Who's Talking Now. But from a television point of view, I think my family would have gone with Ready, Steady, Cook.
0: I think that's probably what we'd have done as well. And when I think to kind of the Christmases that I have now, those are the things that me and my wife really gravitate towards. What Christmas specials are on? What Christmas specials have already established formats? Or even formats that we don't really watch. We watched that Lego Master Builder
3: thing Christmas special at Christmas last year because Alex Horn was on it. That was a great Christmas special. I loved seeing Alex Horn being rendered in Lego, and even better was Greg Davis with very pointy Lego nipples. <laughs> he was having a lovely little bath that was too small for him, as is realistic and true.
0: And the other premiere that we have here is a movie that we have actually discussed in the past, but only on a Patreon bonus episode because it was number one. When I can't remember what episode it was, now we did that might have been Press Gang or something like that. But it's Naked Gun 33 and a third gets its 9 p.m. premiere on BBC One.
5: After the draw, Leslie Nielsen's on a perilous mission.
0: You might end up dead, is my middle name. Again, third installment of the series. I don't think it's the best one, and it has aged horribly.
3: Yeah, there's some jokes in there that just. No. Nope. Naked Gun, Naked Gun two and a half, they're fine. 33 and a third. It goes the Ace Ventura route. Yeah. Really, really shouldn't.
0: No, but that is followed up by Harry Enfield and Chums' Christmas special. 10.15,
5: Harry yeah. Enfield and Chums. Oh, well, I came out like him, I like woo Christmas Eve on BBC
0: One. Which is what we've discussed on this podcast previously, because that has got the perfect day outro to it.
3: Also, very quickly followed by Harry Enfield, Naked Gun, 33 and a third, 75 minutes? There's only so many jokes you can do. I was going to say, that is barely legally a movie. <laughs> I was just looking at BBC Two, and BBC Two, if you like cooking shows, you're in for a great time for most of Christmas Eve evening. There was Sykes, Eric Sykes in a comedy Christmas special, unsurprisingly a repeat, a special on bananas from Arena. I also like as well,
0: just before that at nine o'clock, a show called Toy Stories. I see what you're trying to do there. You're trying to trick people into thinking toy stories on BBC2. But no, it's a uh, it's hilarious stories about toys and why they are so important to us.
3: Over on ITV, we have an original drama, kind of a film, but it's more an ITV drama special with Nick Berry, that guy from Heartbeat, meeting up with his old EastEnders mate, Todd Carty. We've talked about him before. I was going to
0: say former gamesmaster contestant, Todd
3: Carty. To star in a drama set in the mid-18th century about a gang of four men and a woman trying to steal the crown jewels from the Tower of London. They're caught and transported to serve their sentences in Tasmania. On the way they escape by jumping ship at Cape Town and launch themselves into a hectic series of adventures and misadventures.
5: A story of hope, of love, of adventure.
4: For
3: they forget me nots.
5: Nick Berry stars in an epic drama, Black Velvet Band, tonight at nine on Central.
3: That actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's all reads. Over on Channel 4, and I think if I've got control of the TV or if maybe I've managed to excuse myself and I'm upstairs with the portable TV, Channel 4 is where I'm going to be.
0: Oh yeah, Channel 4 from like 9.40 onwards. Even, oh, even... actually from 9, from 9 o'clock onwards, you, you're you a grand.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, we've got the comic strip presents Five Go Mad in Dorset. Dawn French, Jennifer Saunders and co. have a ripping time with lashings of ginger beer in a spoof adventure of Enid Blyton's Famous Five. Spoofing the Famous Five has become a thing now. There's books on it, but these guys were there first. 9.40, a return of The Last Resort with Jonathan Ross, a special one-off new edition. Whose line follows that? And then, 10.55, Luke, it's a friend of mine and yours. It's the Eurotrash Christmas Special. And it writes
0: here, saucy stuff with Anton Decan, reveling what cheeky continental types get up to at this time of year. A French porn star dons a mother Christmas costume only to take it off again.
3: Spoilers, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Also, credit to ITV as well on that Black Velvet band thing, because before that is Des O'Connor tonight. And on that show is Todd Carty and Nick Berry. There to promote the show that's coming on directly afterwards.
5: Des O'Connor tonight, Torval and Dean, Harry Hill.
2: Des, those, those eyebrow tablets, is it, is it four a day or 40 a day?
5: <laughs> Vanessa May, Jethro, Nick Berry and Todd Carty.
3: Riding horses and shooting guns. Lots of adventure, lots and lots of adventure.
5: Tonight at 8 on Central.
3: Very clever. I was going to say that is a varied guest list on Des O'Connor because also Torval and Dean... Harry Hill and Jethro, <laughs> and Vanessa May performing her new single Storm, which I think I bought because I fancied Vanessa May.
0: <laughs> it's a fairly good lineup of things on Christmas Eve.
3: Yeah, Channel 5 lets the side down a bit, I think, but the best thing they have to offer an evening is Big Bad Mama 3 from 1987. However, Channel 4 have a film that is so late it is technically Christmas Day that I know I recorded because it was a beautiful Hong Kong horror movie. It was Mr. Vampire 2, which I'm very excited about, because I'm actually getting the Mr. Vampire sequels on Blu-ray in the near future, and I don't think I've seen Mr. Vampire 2 since that tape.
0: Oh, amazing. I'm, I'm curious on this, so I went back to read the, the Daily Mirror review. They just write here, Camp Comic Horror from Hong Kong, and, as the title implies, Not for the First Time two stars
3: something was a bit classier for your late night horror on bbc2 they had carnival of souls it's a great movie it's not what i want at christmas
0: (laughs) it's not it's not a good a roaring christmas time
3: but anyway ash let's
0: get into christmas day because we've got some absolute doozies on our hands here for christmas day I mean, you could start things off pretty early doors if you've got movies on the go. If you've got up nice and early, which we would have done, and all your Christmas presents are already open, and you've already had your breakfast and everything like that, and you've all gone upstairs to have your showers and get yourselves ready for the day. If you're downstairs for 11am, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is on. What a cracking little way to start the day. Bit of casual
2: murder.
3: Bit of casual murder, slave labor. General disregard for health and safety, possibly being dosed with hallucinogenics. I'm pretty certain that essentially just before they went through the factory doors, all the kids were micro dosed with LSD and everything they saw was a trip. And actually, they were just literally wandering around like a cabris factory with just metal pipework. That'd be a really weird way to tell that story nowadays.
0: And that's the reveal at the end of, you get nothing good day, sir, was literal. You are getting nothing. There's nothing here. You've been imagining this whole place. I was going to say, it's also a war. It's going up against another movie that's on roughly the same time, 1025. I think I'd actually be flicking over to ITV to start off my Christmas day
3: if I was down in time. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Honey, I Shrunk the Kid is a great film. I would be torn between the two. I think I'd go for Willy Wonka, but that's only because I know the household did have a copy of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids on video. Yes, yeah, So smart. we would have seen it. Uh, but I love that. Rick Moranis is great in it. The kids are great in it. The practical effects of the giant ant and everything I think are still quite charming. And if you want to go for a third option, Channel 4 has Doctor Dolittle, which is fine not the eddie
0: murphy one of course the one from
3: the 60s yes the one starring rex harrison
0: yeah if i could talk with the animals that one and stuff
3: hello dog what a (laughs) fag
0: (laughs) but of course that's not the only christmas war. we've actually got quite a few christmas wars here and these are two premier movies airing on bbc and itv it's a tough choice to make if you're not really thinking about it a lot but on the one hand At 4.10 on BBC One, you could watch the premiere, the terrestrial premiere of The Flintstones.
2: Welcome. It's time for you and me to interface. Let's begin. One man. I'm only one man. That's from the back. (laughs) One marriage. I'm home. One mother-in-law.
1: got my hands full
2: just being ashamed of him you got your hands full when you scratch your net please welcome fred flintstone my only reward will be your happiness today at 10 past four on bbc one or at three thirty
0: on itv you could watch the television premiere of muppet christmas carol
2: a movie premiere for christmas day
1: Welcome to the Muppet Christmas Carol.
2: Dickens' classic tale of a miserly old man. Humbug. Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips would be cooked with his own turkey. You will be haunted by three spirits. The Muppet Christmas Carol, Christmas Day at 310 on Granada.
3: It would have to be Muppet Christmas Carol. I think so for me too. The Flintstones isn't a bad movie, but it isn't a tough choice. I mean, the only easier choice is actually the last versus we have before that, which was Homeward Bound on ITV going up against Diana, a tribute on Channel 4. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm more interested in the two dogs and a cat.
0: Yeah, Merry Christmas.
3: Merry Christmas. She's still dead. She's still still not with us again. But it's also worth looking at what follows on from those two films because on BBC One, there's something that for redacted reasons we're not going to discuss. But on ITV, Spice Up Your Bastard, Luke. (laughs) I
0: know. They're all over the TV at the moment because it's Spice Up Your
3: Christmas. Well,
0: it wouldn't be Christmas without them, would it? It's a good slot too. Just the time to wake up everyone enjoying the after lunch snooze. So here's girl power music to warm up the coldest day their concert in istanbul which is also available on vhs by all accounts
3: which we will be discussing a little bit later and that spice girls concert is going up against moonwalker spice girls it is spice girls it is
0: i guess mad to look at bbc2 and i'm going back slightly a little bit 215 shooting stars is on
3: it's a repeat and that also had to be a censored repeat.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That feels much, much like it. That should be much later on in the time frame.
3: And followed by a classic episode of The Simpsons, Homer's hair is growing and so is his confidence.
0: I did want to ask you, you, you were the EastEnders household and we were the Coronation Street household. I wanted to ask you if you had any memories of like EastEnders Christmas special 1997 because I read the synopsis of the Corrie one at seven
3: and I don't remember it at all i don't think i was paying any heed to eastenders at this point certainly not around christmas i had other shit to be getting on with i had games to be playing (laughs) i was probably watching my video recording of mr vampire 2 at that point I have no memory of EastEnders. However, they are
0: facing stiff competition, though, because we have our next movie war. And it's, again, two premieres here. Films that we have had as number ones in our timeline. Actually, the same with Muppet Christmas Carol and the Flintstones as well, which is quite nice. 6.50 on BBC One. It's The Mask.
2: Stanley Ibkiss is not just having a bad day, he's having a bad life. Unfortunately, things are about to change, starting with the color of his face. It's party time! P-A-R-T. Why? Because I... ...gotta! Okay.
0: You don't scare me, Mr. Ed,
2: Trouble with a capital M-A-S-K. Man Meets Cartoon, Christmas Day at 6.50 on BBC One.
0: Like you very much. Versus Half Past 7 on ITV, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York.
2: It's happened again. In the holiday rush, guess who's ended up in the wrong city?
4: Families in Florida? I'm in
1: New York. I'm confused.
2: And so it seems are Harry and Marv. You'd think they'd know better by now. A movie premiere, Home Alone 2, lost in New York. Don't you know a kid always wins against two idiots? Christmas Day at 7.30 on ITV.
3: I would go with The Mask. Even today I would go with The Mask. Because Home Alone 2 is just Home Alone in New York. It literally says what it is in the title. There is not a huge amount of difference between the two other than it involves considerably more credit card fraud. I
0: am starting to get a bit concerned that there is this growing sense of we need our new Die Hard amongst like Christmas Twitter debates. You know like years and years ago it was Die Hard as a Christmas movie and now everyone just accepts that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Like there's not much of a debate around it anymore anymore. And the same thing has kind of happened with Batman Returns. That is now just established. Yeah, that's a Christmas movie. You can't really have that as your anti Christmas movie choice. I think the new one, and I saw elements of this last Christmas Home Alone 2 is better than Home Alone, which is just factually incorrect.
3: That is troll. That is troll bait. That is the act of an absolute bridge dweller. Pete is one of them.
0: Pete firmly believes, one of my my, my co-hosts on one of the shows I do, firmly believes that that Home Alone 2 is better than the first one.
3: I redact my support of his music choices on on this basis. (laughs) It is definitely a stance that a person could take, and I would respect that they take that stance, even though factually wrong
0: very very wrong i would have also picked the mask in this one as well i i like home alone 2 enough but my cousin would have had it on vhs when it came out so i probably would have seen it quite a bit and he would have had the mask as well but I was obsessed with the mask we talked about it like when it it came out and it was our number one but i was obsessed with the mask it would finish rewind press play again i would just watch it from the start loved that movie
3: i think i've just been struck with why the movie premieres haven't impressed me that much so far it's because i would actually seen a lot of them at the cinema or on video whereas Ah. when i think of earlier christmases of premieres of batman of back to the future of stuff like that a lot of those were first or early viewings so it's a case of oh, never-ending story okay not a premiere but got that on video Flintstones. i know i went to see that at the cinema the mask the same home alone the same so maybe that is why i'm just finding it not quite as impressive
0: it's not as punchy as it has been in previous years One of the things that really jumped out to me when I was looking at this, and it jumped out to me for two reasons. The second one, I'll get into in a second. But first, when I was getting adverts to go into the episode edits, I found like an ITV block and that had adverts, you know, trails for shows that are coming up across the Christmas period. And this one just jumped out to me. So at 10.20 on ITV, they have got a comedy drama called The Bare Necessities. Stop me if you've heard this one before. A coal mine closes, prompting out-of-work miners to form a strip group.
5: Their pit closed. Their luck was out. They were heading for the scrap heap. But they didn't throw in the towel. I want to see some action
2: to sex.
5: They're making the most of their assets. Happy. And soap In front of a very excited audience.
2: Please be pleased, shouldn't wonder.
5: Cold, dole, and dirty dancing. The bare necessities, Christmas night 1020 on Carlton.
3: The first line of the blurb is comedy drama drawing on the same idea as the film The Full Monty. To quote Chasing Amy, you're a fucking tracer. That is not drawing. <laughs> that is tracing. The actual the
0: boldness to put that movie on, or even to put this little one-hour
3: drama on. Crikey. Absolutely shocking. <laughs> Something I didn't realise until I was going over the Christmas Day TV over on Channel 5, who are just off doing their own little thing. <laughs> yeah, It's the 25th anniversary of ABBA. That is why there is a 100% ABBA special and a Night Fever ABBA special. Luke, do you remember Night Fever? I do remember Night Fever, yeah. It wasn't until I saw Night Fever coming up in the TV pages. Not only did I remember Night Fever, but I remembered watching a lot of Night Fever because I really, really liked and still kind of do like Suggs. I think Suggs is a very entertaining host. I thought the idea of competitive karaoke was a great idea. I don't think I'd have watched this Night Fever ABBA special, but I kind of wish I had. Mm. You could probably find it now, right? I did take a quick look for it earlier, and I couldn't. Oh, that's but a I'll have to real dig shame. a bit deeper. Yeah. I could find a New Year's special from like the millennium, and I'm like, I don't want to know about 1999. I want to know about 1997. That's all as well. They've got a uh, 755, another episode of Xena Warrior Princess. This really
0: feels like Dominic Diamond has uh, written this blurb. You know, like <laughs> when like, Dominic Diamond used to talk about 2D fighters in uh, series two. And it was like, oh man, these are really cool. My series 4 is like, oh god, another 2D fighter. Is it? Oh, another mascot platformer is it? This is a very Dominic Diamond write-up of Xena Warrior Princess. Gabrielle has landed herself in trouble again. That's it. <laughs> That's the tweet. There is one other movie uh, to note as well from on BBC One. Because they've got some, you know, some big things. You've got one foot in the grave is on there. You've got Men Behaving Badly, a big 40-minute special of that. And you've got They Think It's All Over. But if you can stay up, if you are old enough to be up at quarter to midnight, you get
3: Airplane. You get Airplane. 99% certain I taped Airplane. Because why wouldn't you tape Airplane? Hey, we showed you Leslie Nielsen yesterday in a film that hasn't aged well. Here is a film that still has some issues, but is scientifically one of the funniest films ever made more jokes per minute than almost any other film out there. And even now, 43 years later, so many of them still land. I think it was a Simpsons writer once said that
0: it's the perfect comedy movie because if you don't find one of the jokes funny, it's okay because the next joke you will find funny and it will be immediate because, like you say, it is Constantly just throwing out joke, 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 joke. It just does not let up.
3: Even now, I will watch that movie and I will still occasionally see new jokes or new visual bits or just be reminded of jokes that I'd forgotten about. I'm also shocked that One Foot in the Grave got an hour and 10 minutes. (laughs) Good gravy. Meanwhile, Channel 4 late into the night is sucking. And by that, I mean they're showing some back to back vampire movies. Prince of Darkness, followed by Lust for a Vampire. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> oh, and I suppose technically Airplane is followed by some more classic comedy. Carry On Loving? Also only 70 minutes long. I know you like shorter films, Luke, but would you say 70 minutes is too short? Yeah, that's that's a TV show. That's a TV show that forgot to account for ad breaks. Some of the write-ups here in the
0: uh, uh, Monty Smith's review, his holiday movie's review here. Not much to say for The Muppet Christmas Carol, just writes, Michael Caine, a splendid Scrooge, in disarming comic puppet version of the festive favourite three stars. The Flintstones, however... Neanderthal 60s cartoon sitcom turned into a laugh-free zone by hapless actors stuck with a script worked on by a reputed 35 writers, just three of them accredited. The tone throughout is loud and grating, like Fred Flintstone's voice, and the extravagant slapstick relies on not on timing, but on special effects one star. Hard to please.
3: Oh yeah, he's hard to please, but he might be bang on the banana with lust for a vampire. A female vampire pops up in an exclusive girls' school poor show by hammer's usual standards (laughs) one star hammer's usual standards were low and i say that as a fan of hammer but you know my favorite hammer film is dracula ad 1972 that film's terrible but i love it i don't think i've seen lust for a vampire i think i'm going to be adding it to my watch list Well, let's move into Boxing Day
0: then. You've woken up. Next Christmas, not going to be there for another 365 odd days.
3: Unless you happen to be hosting a retrospective podcast, in which case (laughs) you'll get through six or seven of the buggers in the space of three years. Don't worry, there'll be one just around the corner. But you can kick things
0: off on Boxing Day morning. Ten past ten. Superman 3's on
3: BBC One. Superman 3... Which, again, some surprising elements of horror. The bit where the woman goes into the machine and becomes a cyborg. I mean, it's not the worst Superman movie, Quest for Peace. I don't care how bad the recent Superman movies are. Quest for Peace is still definitively the worst Superman movie. But Superman 3, it, it's an okay Boxing Day movie. It's a hangover movie. It's got Richard Pryor in it for reasons. Comedy. Comedy, and that. It's it's okay. There are other alternatives as well on other channels. You've got Oliver Twist on BBC Two. That, you know, perfectly warm and lovely story for Boxing Day. Over on ITV, you've got the 95 version of Freaky Friday. The Shelley Long version.
0: Yeah, they have rebooted it like eight years later. Isn't that mad to think there's eight years later? Having said that, I was listening to a podcast today that reminded me that Resident Evil remake came out like
3: six years after the original Resident Evil came out. It's so crazy how quickly that thing came around. Channel 4 doesn't actually start showing its first movie till 11.15 with Jack the Giant Killer. Channel 5 has a film called The Princess and the Goblin, which has a two star rating and states dreary fairy tale cartoon channel five i i know it's only
0: just launched but it already feels like the least important channel like the amount of times it has not come up in our conversations is quite the shame
3: do you want to know how bad the princess and the goblin must be it doesn't actually appear in the holiday movies write-up he put his entire review in one line of the tv guide with two stars i I only see that for one other film off the top of my head He is very wrong about that one because I suspect that movie is the next one you're going to mention. It is,
0: yeah. I was about to say, he's done it for half past one here on Boxing Day. ITV, 1993's Batman Mask of the Phantasm. This would have been where I'd have taped it off the TV if I hadn't done already.
3: He only gives it two stars. He is so very wrong about that one. I don't think he ever even watched it. He's just put, spin-off from the TV cartoon because it is but it's also a lot lot more than that yeah i imagine i'd have been watching batman mask of the phantasm at least for the first half hour or so
0: yeah it depends on what you're doing for boxing day like you might be going around to see family or friends or something like that so you might not have been around for you know lunchtime post-lunchtime to sit down and watch a movie for i mean granted you can talk about 75 minute movies that is on for uh 70 minutes with ad (laughs) breaks.
3: There must have been some fairly heavy cuts to that because Mask of the Phantasm is not that short. No, it's not. But it is also quite dark and quite violent for 1.30 on a Boxing Day. I don't know if we'd have been going anywhere on Boxing Day or maybe we'd have already gone in the morning, but I think the television would have actually ended up on BBC One from 2.10 onwards. Ah, of course, you've got a hook on. (laughs)
2: There was once a man who'd forgotten he was ever a boy. I do not believe in fairies. A boy who could fly. He's forgotten everything. Until the wicked captain... Hook! ...stole his children and declared... I want my war! And it's there the fairy tale begins. Hook. Boxing Day, ten past two, on BBC One.
3: I have a real soft spot for Hook. I, I think it is more kindly regarded now than it is then. I mean, even in this review, even in his Holiday Movies review, he says, likely to be greeted in wide-eyed wonderment by the people it's intended for, children, the harshest critics of all. He gives this three stars, so he's not all bad, because I think Hook is a very solid three to four star movie.
0: I think that's also fair enough as well. I think, however, in the Owen household, we'd have had ICV on if we had anything on at all, because... Sword in the Stone is a firm Owen family favourite. In fact, we watched it at Christmas last year when we were up at my mum's because my brother was like, there's two films I want to watch. I want to watch Sword in the Stone and I want to watch Robin Hood. We only end up watching Sword in the Stone, but that is a firm favourite in our household.
3: Channel 4 didn't really try and compete. They're showing The Land That Time Forgot from 1975 with Doug McClure. Yeah. It's an option if you don't
0: want to watch kid's family movie or straight up... Well, and actually, another kid's family movie, I guess, but an animated one. If you want to watch something that's a bit more for nan and granddad, maybe watch The Land That Time Forgot.
3: And over on Channel 5, football. Football. Boxing Day football. From 1 o'clock till 6pm, five hours of football. No. <laughs> For your early evening films, Channel 5 does show a bit of class with Gone With The Wind. I mean, that is a long old film. That's on from 7.10 till 11.10 in the evening. Bloody hell. That's Channel 5 getting its bang per buck on their licensing. Meanwhile, BBC One and ITV are kind of going head-to-head at 6.20 with Beethoven second on BBC One and Forever Young on ITV. One is about a wrinkly-faced creature that drools and the other is about a dog. Very, very
0: nice. I also like as well, you know, we were talking about Freaky Friday just a moment ago there. Jamie Lee Curtis in Forever Young, and as they describe it here in the Daily Mirror, cute
2: kid Elijah Woods.
3: He was a cute kid, Luke. Cute it kid. was kind of his reason for getting jobs. Can we get a kid that's cute, but also can act? Well, you've got Elijah Wood, haven't you? Yes, yeah, that's
0: what Elijah Wood's here for. He's also good for a hobbit, if you fancy one. That's what we bred him in a vat for. <laughs> I want to jump up to ten past eight, if I may, though, because... While I did not watch this one, at least I'm not sure if I watched this one, can't quite remember, I did watch a lot of What It Would Become, because this is the revival of Blankety Blank, now being hosted by Lily Savage. When this just becomes a regular TV show on BBC One, I watched every single episode and loved it.
3: I am a big Blankety Blank fan. Specifically, I'm a big Les Dawson Blankety Blank fan. The Lily Savage reboot just didn't land with me and it's because I'm just not a huge fan of Lily Savage. It's not that I actively dislike Lily Savage, just not my comedy. And it's a shame because I should have loved this because I love Blankety Blank. I love the format. I love the Bradley Walsh version that's airing at the moment. I actually think Bradley Walsh is a really, really smart choice when you want a host that is slightly downtrodden and falling foul of his guests. But this Christmas reboot, it did good numbers and it stuck around for a good old while yes yeah, so for another couple of years i think and that's followed up by
0: uh, a christmas special of the vicar of dibley as we get into our evening movie war on itv it's dances with wolves but it's going up against the tv premiere the terrestrial tv premiere on bbc1 10:15 One true lies
2: more muscle than madonna more charm than casanova more power than pavarotti
1: it's not like he's saving the world or anything he's a sales rep
2: arnold schwarzenegger and jamie lee curtis in the network premiere true lies Trust me, this time you can count on me. Here we go. This is not a drill. Fear is not an option. Ah! Boxing Day at 10.15 on BBC One. Got
0: to work. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, which is now available on Disney Plus. Uh, if you haven't seen it in quite some time and are looking for a way to watch it.
3: I think my mum and dad would have been watching Dances with Wolves. Yeah, same here. Uh, if I was watching anything, I'd have probably been watching True Lies on the portable TV. Although I may have flipped over to Channel 5 at some point, because I was someone that watched Lex.
0: Oh, the Dark Zone stories.
3: Yeah, but it's sci-fi, really weird Euro-Canadian sci-fi show. Hasn't held up terribly well. Certainly Babylon 5 has held up better. It was the sort of thing I watched. Channel 5 showed that. They also showed Poltergeist the Legacy, which has nothing to do with Poltergeist, or the film series Legacy, but it was entertaining horror and The Undertaker appeared on it once. Hmm, that's cool. Not really. <laughs> 1055 on BBC Two does have something that is very close to my heart now. I'm not sure if I was watching it then Stellar Street with John Sessions and Phil Cornwell. I just loved Stellar Street. If Stellar Street was made today, it would be a YouTube series mm. or Instagram or TikTok. You know those little five-minute, no budget single camera shoots. And I I love Celestry. I've got all of the series on DVD. It was a law of diminishing returns, but the first two series at least, some top stuff in there.
0: She also just suddenly hit me as well. It's Jamie Lee Curtis again. Just think about true lies. She just wins an Oscar in modern day timeline, and Here We Are in 1997. 97 she's three times mentioned.
2: Argos have masses of ideas for the kids this Christmas. A moonraker for Max, a pilot for Peter, a stealth jet for Steven, jewels for Jerry, Lego for Lulu, working out Barbie for Wendy, Blossom Beauty for Becky, a motorhome for Mel, a camera for Kate, a construction set for Callum and a gym for Jim. If you need Christmas ideas, you need Argos Plus. Pick up a copy now. At Curry's, Britain's biggest electrical stores, we've our best ever choice of Christmas gifts, with thousands of great ideas. Gifts for all the family, gifts for friends, we've gifts to suit everyone, and they're all at Curry's low prices. See them right away. It's Curry's best ever Christmas choice.
5: That order's come through. <whistles> Julie, we've just got a Christmas card from that electrician that was here last month. What, the electrician? Oh,
4: goodness.
1: Oh well, got an excuse to call him now.
2: <laughs> In business, everyone responds to a card.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at Bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
2: Isn't it funny how some presents aren't always what they're cracked up to be? That's why this
5: Christmas, Asda have got 2,000 new ideas, all at permanently low prices. Like our range of exclusive gifts, designed by the Spice Girls. Luxury gels and sponges in their own backpacks. Over 70 cuddly toys. 2,000 new ideas and permanently low prices forever. That, that's as the price.
4: It's Christmas!
2: There are many different ways to communicate, but with Nokia's range of mobile phones, it's never been easier. Our new Nokia 3110 phone, for instance, has the unique Navi key that performs every function. And with our Nokia communicator, it's as easy to fax as it is to phone. Nokia. Connecting people.
0: Christmas isn't just about what you're watching on the telly box. It's about the presents too. And presents means toys, not the movie. I mean, actual toys.
3: I also have a soft spot for the movie toys. It's not good, but it's interesting. So thankfully, we have the top five toys for Christmas 1997. At number five, we've already mentioned them more than once this episode. It's the Spice Girls' with their girl power dolls i'd imagine this is like barbie type figures but spice girls yeah these were made by galoob and these things were only announced in october of 1997 and the first set got released in december it was mad how quickly they got these tooled around they were probably just standard doll bodies with cursory sculpts of the girls' heads. I'm just
0: looking at them now, and yeah, they do look like Galoob already had some dolls in mind, and with the Jerry one, they've just put Ginger Wig on, Union Jack dress.
3: Now, we've already talked about how the Spice Girls, you know, 1998 is the year it all kind of goes a bit Pete Tong. Doesn't stop Galoob, because between December 1997 and 1999, they released eight Different sets of dolls. Wow. And it didn't just stop at dolls. They also released different outfits sold separately and accessories, including the concert soundstage, a miniature Spice Bus, yes, it is based on the one seen in the movie, just much smaller, and various Spice World fashion costume sets. Although the series became slightly cheaper to collect from June 1999 as it no longer featured Jerry Halliwell. You say June of
0: 99?
3: Yeah. She's been gone from the band for a full year by that point. Yeah, but I bet her contract hadn't. Maybe. But there you go. They were very, very popular. They were a huge hit, both Christmas 97 and Christmas 98, selling over 11 million units. In at number four, and I did get one of
0: these for Christmas 1997, Digimon. So I mentioned previously on a previous episode, did not get into Pokemon. Didn't whatsoever. That's because it kind of comes out, like it, it kind of hits our shores in like when I'm in year eight and the year are into it. Digimon though, I am a year seven. So this is the cool thing for me to get into. It's like a Tamagotchi, but they fight each other, which makes it cooler. And I remember going to big school, uh, going to secondary school, and I had, I had quite a few friends that had Digimons. So, you know, we'd battle them on, the, on lunch breaks and stuff. But I figured out during maths, which is why I didn't do very well at maths, it might be. With my house keys, I could connect the user on the connectors and make it think it's connected to another Digimon. And essentially, I would just battle nothing. But it was a way for me to level up my Digimon and just farm it, essentially. And I basically would just like, during my maths class, just with my keys... Fake a load of fights and then I absolutely boss
3: it. And then I've got a massively cool, wicked cool Digimon. Luke Timothy Owen. I am shocked and disappointed. (laughs) So disappointed, not even my middle name. Mate, I know how data protection works. I'm not giving out your (laughs) real middle name on a podcast. But
0: yeah, that's how I spent a lot of my maths class and geography as well. I can remember specifically where I was sat and I was able to get away with it because I was right at the back in the corner. So the teacher wouldn't spot me. Just fiddling with me keys to buff up my Digimon.
3: She probably saw you at the back of the room fiddling and just went, I'm not paid enough to deal with this.
0: (laughs) Year sevens, eh?
3: Speaking of tinky winkies, though, number three, we've got the Teletubbies, Luke. Also our most
0: expensive item here that isn't a video game console. $27.99 per Teletubby. As a kid, you've got to pick whichever one you want.
3: I suspect that the reason they're not higher is because of one, supply chain issues, and two, that higher price tag. For that 27 99 you could buy almost three Spice Girls, you could buy a brace of Digimon, and you could also buy at least three of our number two entry. In number
0: two, it's like Digimon but not quite as cool. It's Tamagotchi. This was an item that was just on the news. This is what I remember of this time frame. The
2: uh, the Tamagotchi is an egg-shaped computer game that involves feeding a small baby bird. Sounds boring to me, but in Japan, they're mad for it. This is from Juliet Hindle in Tokyo.
5: It's my life, my best friend, my lover, say the girls. The object of their affections is the Tamagotchi, a virtual pet. The Tamagotchi is an egg-shaped computer game in cute coloured plastic, The first version has already sold out, and its makers, Bandai, can't keep up with demand. First, a chick hatches from an egg. Then you can feed it, either rice or cookies. When you clear up its droppings, it squeaks with delight. But if you don't press the right buttons, it dies of neglect. As soon as a rumor spreads that a shop has the Tamagotchi, huge queues form outside. And guess what? It'll hit the shops in the U.S. and Europe later this year. I think we could sell uh, because the reaction is almost same as well as Japan. So which means Tamagotchi is already international toys or international products. Oh, sorry. I was just feeding my Tamagotchi. But apart from virtual rice and virtual cookies, what exactly goes into making one of these Tamagotchi is a closely guarded industrial secret. And Bandai also won't say how much it costs to make one. But one thing's certain, it's very, very profitable.
0: I actually, I knew one kid that had one. I knew more kids that had Digimons, but I knew one kid that did have a a, a Tamagotchi. But really, when I sort of think back to that period of time, it's less about the friend that had one and more just, seeing them being talked about on new shows and sort of cultural affairs shows and things like that about this new wave of things that have come over from Japan and kids are being distracted by.
3: I remember a lot of people that had Tamagotchis. I had a Tamagotchi. I thought I had a blue one, but I've just realized, no, I had a pink one. I had a pink Tamagotchi because I think it was, you had a blue shell with a pink kind of egg crack Mm. insert. And then you had the pink shell with the blue egg crack insert. And I think I got the pink one because it was the only one they had. And so I got it because I wanted a Tamagotchi. Gotta have that Tamagotchi. Gotta have that Tamagotchi. I still really like Tamagotchi's as a concept. I think the kind of the satanic panic element was a bit too much and just showed a lack of control of parents and teachers and also a degree of lack of responsibility of the Tamagotchi maker because it wouldn't have been difficult for them to have put a suspend button in, or just an off switch. Yeah, didn't have to be on all the time. But there was that level of panic of teachers expressing concern that there was disruption in the class caused by people having to feed and clean up the poop after their little pets, kids getting upset at their Tamagotchi dying, which happened a lot, They had a very short lifespan. They were electronic sea monkeys in that regard. Digimon were the same way. You would lose Digimon more than
0: you would have them.
3: And in at number one is a... Am I reading this right? A Nintendo 64. I
0: think that's what it says. You know, should have been the Christmas seller for 1996, but here we are, 1997, it's finally here, and it is top of the charts, doing very, very well for itself. The N64 outselling the PlayStation, outselling the Saturn, could you believe it, here in our timeline. And it's not going to be there this time next year, basically.
3: But that was the top five selling Christmas toys of 1997, and because it's not actually part of our timeline, I also just dropped in the top five of 1998 specifically because nintendo makes an appearance here as well and it is also a very very different kind of top five number five is laser challenge which if i remember correctly it's just a laser tag set that's it those things go around and come around they've been appearing in toy shops since about the mid 80s with varying degrees of success number four pro yo's Yo-yos came back in a big way. Oh, didn't I they just? Oh,
0: mate, I had such a yo-yo. I had so many fucking yo-yos at this point in time. I, got, I had yo-yos in my stock in Christmas 1998. I remember very specifically getting a yo-yo in my stock in Christmas 1998. I actually might have even got one Christmas 1997 as well. Yo-yos came back in a big, big way.
3: I've still got, and I'm just looking around because I'm amazed I can't see one right now. I've still got at least three to four yo-yos that I use on a semi-regular basis because they're just like they're like a fidget spinner for me. I'm not very good with them, but they help calm me down.
0: Oh, I had one that had lights on it and everything.
3: Now at number three, we have Nintendo with the Game Boy Color. Game Boy's back, and this time. It's got colour. It's got at least four colours. The Game Boy colour, they made this big thing about it being a colour handheld, and it was a colour handheld, but let's be real here. The Game Gear looked better. Game Gear did look way better. The Atari Lynx looked better. (laughs) But it also took four times as many batteries. Yeah, the Game Boy colour was the perfect balance of price, of battery life, and of providing some colour. Also, it was just a really nice pocket size. Same as the Game Boy Pocket, it just it in the pocket snugly but amazingly it's not a number one it's at number three number two is something i would like to see die in a fire it's bop it
0: yeah i knew kids that like bop it i was not one of those kids
3: i used to go out with someone that worked for a company that did a whole bunch of uh, sound chip stuff and like kind of voice digitization and whatnot i uh, did a bunch of stuff for the star wars episode one action figures you know the little sound chips oh yeah Did uh, most of the uk cast recording for those oh cool they had a sound studio in the basement of the building they were also one of the development teams behind the internal electronics for bop it twist it pull it but it means in their reception area they had kind of like a case with various things in there developed and a lot of them had batteries in and that bop it would occasionally like a haunted doll Just go off of its own accord. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of weird noises, number one. Oh, we dodged a bullet with this one. Even though technically I did get one from a charity shop for the first UCP to have on the set. It's a Furby.
0: Yeah, that same kid that had the Tamagotchi, he had a Furby as well.
3: I had a friend that had a Furby and this was going well into the late 90s, into the early 2000s. And I don't know what he did to the Furby, but apparently for the longest time, The only thing it could say was scared and worried.
0: I would have asked for one. I would have asked for one Christmas 1998. There isn't a cat in hell's chance my mum and dad would have bought me one because they would have known that's tat. I would have been like, oh, but I really want one. My parents were right. It was tat. See, I never had one. I knew a kid that had one. And I love that there is a version of a Furby that features in the cartoon series Bluey. (laughs) Bluey. (laughs) Hmm, no-one here. They're hiding really well. Anyone in here? (laughs) (laughs) Chattermax! I thought I'd lost you. (laughs) Are you hungry, (laughs) Chattermax? I'd like to feed you, but I'm supposed to be playing (laughs) hide-and-seek. Okay, I'll
1: just give you a quick little feed. I wonder why you were shoved under
0: the sink. So I don't know if they're a, they've come back or there is a similar thing out in Australia that kids are into, but there is a Furby type creature in uh, Bluey that they just discover one day that's been missing for a couple of years. And they're like, oh, that's where that thing got to. And uh, the episode is basically, I actually know this toy is really annoying.
3: It's amazing to think that Talkie Toaster preceded Furby by a good number of years in Red Dwarf. And someone may have watched a bootleg video of Red Dwarf imported to wherever the hell Furby came up with and went, what if we made this toyetic? <laughs> what if we made Talky Toaster and marketed it to children? Maybe took the toasting element out and covered it in fake fur.
0: For the sake of completion, the, the Furby thing is called Chattermax. I literally just Googled a Bluey Furby and it came up Chattermax. There you go. We did have a quick, brief look through the 1997-1998 the uh, Argos catalogue, the catalogue of dreams, the Christmas catalogue that you would trawl through to to write down certain things. We're not going to go through our usual thing of buying things for each other. Although, Ash, I will say I was very pleased to note there was no f***ing spirograph in the Argos catalogue this year, so I was very pleased to see that. But the thing that jumped out the most to me was jumping right up to page 482 as we enter into Action HQ. And the reason why this jumped out to me, the reason why I kind of really tickled at my nostalgia bones is because this is the year I got into Action Man. And I realized that this was the year I got into Action Man because as I scrolled through the three pages of Action Man content in the Argos Book of Dreams. My first two Action Men are in this and Actually, my first three are in this, in fact. And one of my first vehicles is in this collection. Did you get the one that came with full-size plasters? Oh, yes, I did. That was... Because there's one of the cheaper ones as well. Uh, no real hair on it. No real like fate, like the, the fur hair thing. Very much the plastic molded hair. But I do remember that one because it came with like fake like scars you could put on him and stuff like that it's very cool he looks kind of like peter andre it does he's got a bit of peter andre about him hasn't he i mean he's very plastic you can tell there's one of my first ones well look at him he's only 775 he's dirt cheap compared to the compared to the dog one he's 23 quid
3: yeah but the the dog one comes with i don't know a dog <laughs> <laughs> remember a toy dog is for life not just for christmas so that was one of the action men you got. Did you get more than one at Christmas? I think I did. I think I got that as like an extra
0: bonus one. There, There is one on here, though, that I was specifically saw in Sainsbury's, or the saver center as it was back then in Calcott, And I was like, that is the action man I want. And that is the action man I then got for Christmas.
3: Which one did you get
0: then? Uh, on uh, page 484, option number four, which is called operation tiger strike action man because this action man comes with tattoos not just tattoos that you can put on the action man but tattoos you can put on yourself as well it was awesome and had the action man logo which i put in the same place that my action man had his logo i was obsessed with tattoos when i was this age and i thought this was the coolest toy in the world because i could put tattoos on him and put tattoos on myself.
3: I love the blurb that you get in the Argos catalogue for this one because it says, Comes dressed for jungle combat, with vest and patterned trousers. Include a sheet of tattoos, which can be rubbed on Action Man or Child. (laughs) (laughs) Or Child? (laughs) Peanut butter and jelly, why not both? (laughs) That was cool. Uh, The
0: other one that I got, and I'm pretty sure I got this one for Christmas as well. I sort of joked earlier my parents wouldn't spend that much. They did on number six, though, which is the uh, action man on a snowboard. So it comes with like a cool helmet and stuff and also has a motorized ice cutter, but I never bothered with that. The reason why I got this one is because I also got the three in one vehicle that's just below it. So it's kind of like a sort of a a snow combination thing. Scuba ski. Yeah. Well, my brother really made fun of that three in one vehicle. Cause I remember like, you know, talking about how cool it was to him. Bearing in mind, I'm 12. My brother is 17. He'll be 18, in fact, in a couple of months' time. So he's a bit older than I am. He proper used to rip the piss out of me for this three in one toy. Cause I I was like, Ben, look, it's three in one. He was like, look. The, you see how it says three in one? The scuba thing is basically just put the action man in a different position. That's one of the in ones. So he sits on it. That's one. You put him in a different position. That's two. Uh, and then that front bit pulls out a little bit. That's three. And my brother proper used to rip the piss out of me. He was like, that's not a three in one toy. That is a one in one toy. I think that's unfair, even if it is kind of accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but that's no one at the, the snowboarding one. I had a proper pang of nostalgia for it because in my Action Man world, that was not a snowboard. That was a hoverboard from Back to the Future Part 2. And that is what I used to... That is in my of imagination, that's what it used to be for me.
3: Good news, Luke. You got me back on side with <laughs> Although I do just want to say the, uh, the Ninja Action Man and more importantly, the Action Man Street Racer bike. They say it's a street racer bike. I say the designers of Action Man I've been watching Akira <laughs> a little bit. But it also fires ninja
0: throwing stars.
3: Yeah, anyway, I had a,
0: a real big pang of nostalgia as I got through this. Also, you notice that one on page 484, option number one. Pretty sure uh, Tom Cruise saw that and decided to copy it for Mission Impossible 2.
3: I'll be honest, I was looking through the toy pages on this and I don't really think I got much in the way of toys. I don't think it was that I'd grown out of toys. I think it was that my parents had grown out of getting me toys. It's like, you don't, you don't want toys anymore and I'm now sat here north of 40 going you were wrong but i did see that in this catalog and i don't think i'd have got this this year it would have been quite a few years previously actually they've got the aurora afx kit that i had on page 476 Mm -hmm. the vertigo set oh right yeah which has your standard scale electric slot car track but then, Luke, it goes vertical. you get a bloody loop the loops, mate. There's actually at least one part of this, which they just have stood free here. But in the instructions, it does say you should probably lean this against a wall. Otherwise, if you have two cars going on it at once, it does lean backwards <laughs> quite dramatically. But, oh, I love to roar AFX because, one, I mean, 50 quid is quite a lot, but it's also quite a lot of track. If you look at what a electrics that cost 50 quid would get you, you wouldn't get anything like that. You'd get a figure of eight or maybe an oval with a slight wibbly wobbly bit. But this, this was something special. But yeah, sadly, I'm looking through this and I'm just thinking, I was looking through all these toys and I'm seeing a lot of great toys. There's some amazing Star Wars Micro Machine stuff in there. There's a lot of really cool Hot Wheels sets. Hot Wheels is something that kind of mentally at least fascinates me now because I really enjoy watching Hot Wheel racing. Mm. on youtube some amazingly well-produced stuff out there that i watch and i'm like i wish i'd thought of this but yeah so i'm glad you got some really cool toys because i'm unfortunately going through this argos book of dreams i don't think i got anything i was really
0: stunned to see power rangers zio because I in my head, like it was Mighty Morphin Power Rangers forever and ever and ever. And then all of a sudden I stopped watching it Like I was really stunned to see that Power Rangers Zio was here in nineteen ninety-seven. Something that might be of interest to you though, Ash. Can I direct you to page four one six? There, okay, I'm there. Page four one six. Okay, page four one six. And then right down at the bottom of page four one six.
3: Oh, it's a whole row of Barbie, fashion designer, story maker, and would you Adam and Eve it for nine pounds seventy-five? a Barbie fashion designer refill kit. They
0: do exist. Dominic Diamond would be so pleased to see it here in the book of dreams. And the last one I thought was quite nice and timely for us. Going to to get to scroll down a little bit to 508 because not only we've got Tamagotchi there, we've got a cool little star Wars LCD game wheel of fortune one, but top right hand corner.
3: 7499 for the
0: GameCom. The GameCom with two cartridges, one of which is light, and the other is Batman
3: and Robin. When I was skimming down just to see the GameCom, I did briefly stop on page 503. It's in the middle of the board games. You've got some lovely Scrabble sets there. I do like a game of Scrabble. But then item 19, I am now holding up to Mr. Luke, the Atmosphere anniversary set that arrived to me just the other day, which will contain both of those games and much, much more. Very cool. I would have really wanted Atmosphere and I wouldn't have got it. But now I do. Actually, I've got like two or three copies of Atmosphere. But this is all in one. This is all the original VHS expansions in there.
0: That's amazing. I always wanted those cool VHS games, but I never got them. But actually, I think to wrap up this episode, um, this is something we haven't really looked at before, but you found, and it was an interesting little chart, the Christmas VHS charts of what was the most popular video to be purchased around this holiday season.
3: It's actually, all the data is now on the official chart website. It didn't used to be there because I think I'd looked for it before. But I just was looking for something else unrelated, and I thought, huh, 1997. It shows up the official chart data, and lo and behold, the top 50 for Christmas 1997. There are some films on here that I love, there are some videos on here that I love, and there are some things that I had completely forgotten even existed.
0: I like this chart because it is got some great films on there, some not so great films on there, some very fun music stuff, but also just. Beautiful videos that only exist in Britain. These are beautiful British-only things.
3: And more specifically, only appear around Christmas. That's exactly it. These
0: are what you get for like your uncles or something. Your brother-in-law, you might get them this. It's things like Roy Chubby Brown. It's things like a Men Behaving Badly video. It's things like They Think It's All Over. Full Throttle.
3: Or way down at the bottom of the top 50, at number 48, have I got news for you, pirate video, which is doubling down on that men behaving badly cultural phenomenon because that has Martin Clunes and Neil Morrissey as guests. I know I got that video for Christmas. Oh, really? Because I didn't get toys. Basically, I was beginning to get videos and films and books and CDs from family members and whatnot instead of toys and i know i got have i got news for you pirate video and i'm glad i got that rather than what was two steps above it oh casper a spirited beginning the
0: prequel yeesh i mean there's one in here that i love this at number 42 alistair mcgowan's football back chat which basically just sounds like the sort of thing that alan partridge would end up doing in series two of i'm alan partridge (laughs)
2: video. Hi, I'm Adam Partridge, and I drive a car, but not like this.
4: Let's have a look at what
2: this idiot did in America.
3: Seeing so many of these stand-up comedians in here as well, because sandwiching Alistair McGowan, for want of a better term, you've got Victoria Wood, live in 1997, absolute legend. You've got Lee Evans, The Ultimate Experience, which I assume would come with a bottle of sweat. And, and even then, above that, we've got Harry Enfield. We've got Lord of the Dance, because, you know, you've got to get something for the mums. And then you mentioned Roy Chubby Brown. You've got Jethro in there. This is probably one of the last Christmases either of those two are going to be breaking the top 50, never mind the top 40 of videos. But it's so weird to see those two comedians, one of whom has aged, completely horribly the other of which has aged mostly badly and sat between them is the current state of british comedy the forefront of stand-up there's Eddie Izzard. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's a fascinating
0: little, like, snapshot of England in 1997 or Britain in 1997, because it's not just Alistair McGowan's Football Hell. You've got Nick Hancock's Football Hell. You know what I mean? Like, a, Nick Hancock is a name you just don't talk about anymore. you hear anymore. And the other thing that I absolutely love in this list, Soap Opera, VHS, Side Quests. So Coronation Street, Viva Las Vegas, Emmerdale, The Dingles Down Under, Brookside, The Lost Weekend.
3: Weirdly, Brookside's The Lost Weekend was, I believe, one of the first to enter production, one of the first to actually go, this is something we're going to do as a proper spin-off. One of the few to actually take advantage of not being broadcast in more than just, let's send them to Australia. Let's send them to Vegas. They went, we're going to be making a low budget thriller. It's going to be using the Brookside cast, the Brookside sets. But this will be structured as an actual film. This will not be meeting the pre-Watershed standards. This is an 18 rating. Literally, some of the first lines of dialogue in this involve the word wanker, shit and fuck. All the normal soap opera kind of tropes are pretty much thrown out the window. They are making a quite low budget and occasionally clunky thriller.
0: It's probably why it's the best performer of the three as well.
3: It's the only one that's actually trying to offer something different other than what if we sent the Dingles to Australia? Which you can bet they only did that because Emmerdale was also being sold to ABC. And so they knew they could just stick them on a plane and use the local union film crews. But just above Brookside, I imagine is one that may be of interest to you. It's what we mentioned earlier that was being aired on ITV. Girl
0: Power, live in Istanbul, the Spice Girls touring uh, VHS or a concert performance. But one that certainly is appealing to both you and I, because uh, a a listener to this podcast made this point very recently. It was Paul Gannon. Yeah, exactly. Bottom Live 3, Hooligan's Island. And Gannon made the point of, I like to think that Richie and Eddie are on the other side of Paradise Island that Dom and the Girl Fridays are on.
3: Weirdly, and I can't believe I hadn't mentioned it yet, that thought had entered my head because in my head, I pictured Eddie and Dom meeting up somewhere in the middle of the island for a quick fag and to look at the latest copy of the Racing Post because Dom clearly has connections to the mainland. That's how he gets the guests out. He helps Eddie put the bets on. But just, you know, don't let Richie know.
0: I love Hooligans Island. It's so good. I mean, I I might gravitate more towards Bottom Life 2, but Hooligans Island's f***ing brilliant. I always knew he'd go first. The absolute bastard.
3: But that takes us neatly towards the top 10. At number 10, we've got All Dogs Go to Heaven 2. Heaven harder. Number nine, Men Behaving Badly,
0: premium edition. You can picture that box as well, can't you? I bet you it looks like a beer can.
3: Premium lager.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Number eight, some Toyetic piece of <laughs> shit. Yeah, Batman and
0: Robin is here at number eight. A film that, I mean, again, I talked about this when I was talking about Toyetic earlier. I mentioned this in that video project I'm doing. The Kenner people were in the creative meetings for Batman and Robin because they needed to make sure that the movie was going to look like the toys they were making. And uh, There's a quote from one of the people that made the movie. said, uh, we sacrifice quality for business.
3: Number seven, a video I definitely got for Christmas. Either for Christmas or I might have got it for my next birthday. Billy Connolly, Two Night Stand. Billy's back.
2: <laughs> I've always loved my scabs. In his first live video for three years. Oh,
4: unbelievable.
2: Billy Connolly's Two Night Stand.
4: I was brilliant at that when I was a boy. woo <laughs> things of nightmare.
2: Billy Connolly's two-night stand.
3: Billy Connolly was one of the stand-up comedians my mum would never mind getting me an 18-rated video for because she liked Billy Connolly. She grew up with Billy Connolly. She wasn't too keen on the swearing though. Mmm, bit of posse mouth. And at number six, a digitally remastered and restored Walt Disney's Cinderella. Take a little magic, a little
2: romance, and a whole lot of fun. <laughs> them together and what have you got? Walt Disney's beloved classic Cinderella, coming soon on video. Like magic, the memory can be yours forever. Cinderella is the classic fairy tale, so don't be left behind. Make your family's dreams come true. Bring home Walt Disney's classic Cinderella on video and enjoy the magic forever.
3: Yeah, get it now before it goes back in the vault. Yes, having been withdrawn from sale in 1989, This was part of the Masterpiece Collection and released in November in the UK. Overall, this sold over 15 million copies of VHS before it was once again discontinued and locked back in the vault.
0: You know, this was Disney's method, really, was that you release a movie onto VHS for a limited period of time, goes back in the vault, and then another movie gets released for a limited period of time, then that goes back into the vault. Obviously, that's all completely changed with Disney+. Plus. Now everything is available, but there was a period of time when Disney were very much, nope, we're keeping hold of this, and you're not allowed to have it unless we say so.
3: But at number five, there's the aforementioned they think it's all over-special, full throttle. And then at number four, a big shiny box set in bronze or silver. Oh, yeah, that nice bronze farty box set open up
0: (sighs) when you pull it out so you can get all three of those films out. But I adored that uh, VHS Star Wars collection. Do you know what this actually reminds me of or makes me think of? So 1997, my brother, he had uh, built-in wardrobes in his room and he was bored. So he just got some of his paints out that he was using for like Warhammer and stuff and just started painting on his wardrobes with this idea that I'm going to do a big collage thing of things that I'm interested in. And... It became this huge, like floor to ceiling collage thing. It had this huge Spider-Man on it. It had a big Batman logo, the Star Wars logo, the DC logo, DC Shoes logo, Converse, and all this stuff. Sort of, like a lot of skating, surfboarding, that sort of stuff, like wet willy, and all that sort of things. And in the bottom right-hand corner was the Darth Vader gold silhouette thing that's on the VHS box. And that's always what it makes me think of. And Mike, in the end, when he went to university in 1998. My dad finished it off. He basically like finished the other, the second half of it. And in the bottom left-hand corner was Lara Croft from the cover of Tomb Raider 2. That was down in the bottom left-hand corner. And it was signed Ben 1997 and my dad 1998. And when my parents moved out of that house, they took the doors with them to take up to their new house. Because my mum was like, I can't get rid of this. These have to come with us.
3: I'm shocked because I was ready for the punchline of that story to be, and my parents exploded because <laughs> that's what mine would have done. But that's really sweet. That's lovely.
0: Yeah, my dad actually called us was like, oh, this is really cool. This is a very, it's a very cool expression of art. And yeah, my dad ended up finishing it. I wanted to contribute as well. Also, I got my dad to do the Godzilla logo on it because I was moving into that room when my brother went to university. So my dad asked me, what do you want to go on there? And I was like, I oh, want Lara Croft on there because I'm into Tomb Raider 2 and I want the Godzilla logo on there. My dad did the 98 Godzilla logo, the the Roland Emmerich one. But it's still I've got I've got some Godzilla representation on those doors.
3: It's the intention that matters. Exactly. Speaking <laughs> of the intention mattering, number three is Evita. Again, that's one for the mums. Yeah, it certainly is. Number two, Matilda. It's a it's a damn fine film, damn it fine is. version of the book.
0: We didn't get to talk about this because I don't think we had it. I don't think it was a number one at any period of time while we were really doing this podcast for throughout 97, but yeah, a very, very good and solid adaptation of it. Obviously, it's just found new life again because of the, not only the musical, but also the Netflix version of said musical, the Tim Minchin one. But yeah, and it's kind of making a lot of people go back and reappraising that Mara Wilson Matilda movie and you know, a lot of nostalgic love going towards it.
3: But at number one, it's beauty and the beast enchanted christmas from the walt disney studios
2: for everyone who loves disney's beauty and the beast comes the uk premiere of a brand new disney animated classic beauty and the beast the enchanted christmas the magic of one of your favorite disney films continues with the original cast in an all-new movie Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. Limited release Christmas 1997 only. A direct-to-video Disney film is number one.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Not only is it a direct-to-video Disney movie, it is unique in that it is a mid This movie takes place during the montage sequence of the main movie over the Christmas period. And it basically just, like... Extrapolate out that thirty-second montage and make an entire movie out of it. I bet you someone's edited together, haven't they? oh Oh, one hundred percent. There'll be fan edits of there that kind of put it all together,
3: where suddenly the film looks a lot cheaper for seventy minutes. Done by a French animation studio, no doubt. Canadian, actually. Oh, was it Canadian? Was it? It's
0: French. It's French connected. I watched this Last Christmas because I was just looking for things to put on with the kid, and I was like, Ah, Beauty and the Beast, Enchanted Christmas. It's got a genuinely quite brilliant villain. It's this giant organ that's in one of the other chapels. It's a really creepy little villain, actually, but not a very good movie.
3: Now, originally, it was actually meant to be another human Gaston stand-in villain, a guy called Avenant, whose name was taken from the black and white Beauty and the Beast film. Basically, it was taken from Beauty and the Beast lore, but they just went, no. No, we'll we'll make it one of the pieces of anthropomorphic furniture, and and that's what it was. It was also the first Disney director video animated film to go on and use digital ink and paint, basically computer animation, but not in the way you think of Toy Story. This basically exists because of the Return of Jafar. Yeah, because the Return of Jafar made them go, hey. There's money in them, their tapes.
0: Well, Return of Jafar was a a real game changer. We talked about this with uh, Mortal Kombat when 1995 was the year of Mortal Kombat. And in that presentation, Kasanoff put in there, the success of Return of Jafar shows that there is a market in direct to VHS animated features. And that's why we got Mortal Kombat, The Journey Begins. And yeah, like you say for Disney, was, let's do more of these. Little Mermaid 2, Fox and the Hound 2, Beauty and the Beast 2. Lion King 2. Bambi 2. Yeah, Bambi 2. The Mother's Back. You get a sequel. You get a sequel. You get a sequel. But only a handful of them, Beauty and the Beast and China Christmas being one of those, is that elusive mid quill movie.
3: Amazingly, this was regarded highly enough by Disney that in addition to video, it did get a special edition DVD release in 2002. Basically, when the original got the platinum edition come out on DVD, they went. Let's spruce up the mid sequel, whatever you want to call it. And they gave some special features, a behind-the-scenes feature, song selection, karaoke, all that kind of thing. And it's not terrible. It's an unnecessary film, but it's okay.
0: Nowadays, it would just be a Disney Plus short. Yeah. Because that's what the Frozen ones are, more or less now, which are also getting a lot of play in my household at the moment, because it turns out the kid loves Olaf. Ash, I think that's enough festive revelry for us. I think we have delved enough into Christmas 1997. I think we should probably wrap this
3: episode up. And I will, in a rare moment, completely pull back the curtain here and say, we almost just lost an entire two-hour record. I'm not going to lie. I feel like I nearly died just then. (laughs) Uh, But
0: thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can check us out on social media, on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com.
3: And if you want to chat with us in real time, chat with other listeners, other fans of gaming, pop culture, movies, stuff from the past, present, and maybe even the future, You can do so over on our Discord, details of which can be found in our show notes and on social media. And
0: you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash Pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra and our monthly community show under Console Nation. At the £5 level, you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad-free. And at the £10 level, you'll get a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get?
3: At the £10 level, they get our golden glittering joystick waggler mug stuffed with sweeties, trading cards, badges, stickers, all kinds of good stuff. And I'll pack them all up, I'll make my list, I'll check it twice, because you never know where things end up in the Royal Mail right now.
0: And a shout out to those £10 backers and... Because it's Christmas, after all. I'll do it in alphabetical order. Andy, Colin, Joe McGonagall, Adam D, Adam Warrington, Alexis, Andrew Cummings, Andrew Greenwood, Acadia Wild, Bill, Chris Price, Chrissy Two Sticks, David Palmer, David White, Gordon Aiken, Gordon Brands, Gordon Dempster, Harry and Manga Girl, I am Cheadle, Ian Roberts, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe Mitchell, Joe Trigg, Kevin, Kylie, Lawrence, Liam Link, Mark, Matty, Boomisha, Misha, Nick, phil stopford retro fun for everyone reese richard sarah aka pink lithium sean selena simon super sexy dave fisher the amazing cliff tom dylan McEvoy, tom s william zanderthal and zach thank you all so much for listening we will see you in seven days time as we return to paradise island take care everyone
3: good night